Greeting, uh, greeting Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God and the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, good morning. Come on, come on. If that don't get you going, your wood's wet this morning, right? Well, hey. You have chosen to be here on a great Sunday. We start a new book of the Bible. We love God's word here at Westside. We started with the word this year called dwell. And we want to dwell in God's word. And, and that wasn't just a one-off series. I told you that that's going to affect the very life of the church. And so there's no better way to dwell in God's word than for us to study God's word a book at a time. But before we dive in, I just want to give you a quick update. We, uh, by God's grace, have seen a large influx of new people coming in since August, which is incredible. Incredible, And I want to update you just on a few things. Um, some of you ha walked in this morning and saw our incredible lobby and thought that our lobby has always been that way. And no, it is not. Um, it has not. We actually, right before COVID, we launched the God's Money Capital Campaign which looking back now was an incredible time to launch a capital campaign uh, right before COVID. And so what that did is that served for us to remodel and expand our building needs. And just a few things to keep you up to date. One of the things that we have done is we have put a point person. There is a committee of the God's Money Committee, and then there is the board of directors. But we have also appointed a director and manager of the God's Money Capital Campaign, and that is Mr. David Shrimp. David, would you stand up and just wave to everybody? Thank you. Hey, show him some love, man. Show him some love. David has been an answer to prayer on running point and communicating with the board and sort of getting the ball rolling back again on the God's Money campaign. And I just want to update you on that. Um, right now, we have, by God's grace, $205,628.45 in the capital campaign. Can we get excited about that? Amen. Amen. And the way that it worked is when we rolled this campaign out, we rolled it out with three phases in mind. The first phase was to move our offices. So where the Welcome Center is, um, is where my office was actually, and the coffee bar and all of that stuff. We moved our offices across the street to the Parsonage, which is now our administrative offices, and we expanded our lobby because the bottleneck that would happen on Sundays and everything like that. Phase two would be the expansion of Kidside and Nursery, or a better way to put that, Everything behind the glass door would be phase two. And then the big one on phase three would be the remodeling of the sanctuary and the parking lot and some needs on the roof as well. Well, just to update you, obviously, you know, by God's grace, we accomplished phase one and we did that cash, um, all of those things, which is incredible. You guys voted on that to approve all of that. Where I want to update you is, as the committee has met, and as the board has met, and David Shrimp running point uh, as the manager, 
we are quickly realizing that maybe these three phases might not work. And here's what I mean by that. Um, phase two, if you'll show the next slide, we had an example of remodeling some things in the back, throwing up some walls for some more rooms, this, that, and the other. But the reality is, is this, is we're well beyond the phase of remodeling. We need to add square footage. We do not need to rearrange the square footage that we have. So just to update you, the board and uh, the God's Money campaign committee and everybody, we're working with architects, we're getting ideas, we are looking at things. So I just wanted to update you that that is still ongoing constantly. Um, we cannot make any decisions, spend any money out of that or do anything before we bring that to you, um, the congregation and the membership, and you guys vote to approve on those things. So right now we are at a pause, and what we want to do is we want to play the long game. Okay, we don't want to react and hurry up and rearrange stuff and then look 10 years down the line and realize we need to do some things. So right now we're at a pause and we are looking at what is the best option. But I want to inform you of a couple ways that that you can partner with us in the campaign. The first thing is this is you can obviously partner by giving. Right, We've got it set up um, online as well that when you go to our website and you click the giving, it'll say general fund and then the tab will drop down and will actually show the God's Money campaign. We have people who give to that regularly. You can give out there in the boxes. All we need you to do is mark that, the God's Money campaign, so we can allot that in the proper place. Also, um, this is a 501c3, and so if you're looking for a tax write-off, and if you have a couple hundred thousand dollars that you're wanting to just donate, the God's Money campaign's there, okay? We're just speaking in faith. That's what we're doing, okay? Um, and then the second thing, which is, and this is going to be weird for me to say, is more important than the first. Um, you can partner with us by praying. Now, I'm a firm believer in this. Ministry does not follow money. Let me say that again. We are not restricted at this church to do ministry because of money. Money follows ministry. Ministry does not follow money. But before anything, we need to pray and we need to ask for God's guidance in that. So I'm just, I'm just tossing this out. Could this be a part of your regular prayer routine for wisdom, for guidance, for Jesus to go before us? And, and as a matter of fact, let's, let's just do that now. Let's just pray right now for the capital campaign. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and we know that um, the only way that we are even in this, this season of having to make decisions is because of your goodness and your grace. God, may we as a congregation never lose sight of how much of a blessing it is for us to even have to make these decisions. God, may we never lose the forest for the sake of a tree. And the forest is this, that your kingdom is alive and well. And Jesus, you are expanding your kingdom. And people are being saved and crossing from death to life. God, you are bringing people to this place. Give us wisdom and guidance 
as to how we may steward that. Jesus, go before us. Jesus, you never call us to something that you will not provide for us through. You have called us to it, and you will provide for us through it. And so we ask for your wisdom and your mercy and grace, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, enough of the information stuff. We're at it now, okay? We are in a new book of the Bible, the book of Jude. And um, we love God's word here at Westside. That's why we celebrate. We do the s'mores. Sometimes we do snow cones. We do popcorn. And, and listen, here's a reason why. Is we want your kids to know and love and celebrate God's word as well. What a privilege it is for us to get to open up a book of the Bible today. And so um, as we get started, maybe this illustration will help us. It was April 15th. Um, 1912, as many of us have learned in the history books, when the unshippable, uh, unsinkable ship, rather, the Titanic, struck an iceberg and sank, claiming 1,500. And 17 lives. If you're a fan of history, the Titanic is surrounded in tragedy and in mystery. And if there's ever an illustration that pride comes before the fall, it is the story of the unsinkable ship that sank. But what is little known to history is on the day before, April 14th, around 9.40 p.m., the Titanic received a message from the ship known as Mezba, sending out a warning that they had just approached an ice field up ahead. Then again, at 10.55 p.m., another ship nearby named Leland Linear the Californian sent word that it was at a complete stop because it was surrounded by, quote, massive icebergs. All in all, the Titanic received seven warnings the night before it sank. Seven warnings were sent specifically to the Titanic before it struck the iceberg. Also, what is little known to history are these two men by the name of Frederick Fleet and Regiland Lee. These two men were in the crow's nest high above the ship. And their job was to send out warning if they saw anything. And as you know, when they sent out the call for an iceberg up ahead, it was far too late to stop and reroute that massive ship. Why did these two men send out the warning too late? One little factor. Regiland forgot the binoculars. They were in the crow's nest in the middle of the night, and by the time they saw it, it was too late. Seven warnings were sent 
directly to the Titanic, along with Regiland and Frederick sending the warning that an iceberg was up ahead. What in the world does this have to do with the book of Jude? Well, if I were to tell you anything, I was to tell you this, that the book of Jude is a warning sent to the early church of danger up ahead. Caution. Watch out. There are some things that are infiltrating the church of Jesus Christ that we must be aware of. You see, the book of Jude is a warning letter sent to the church of Jesus Christ. So here's what we do. Anytime we dive into a book of the Bible, we got to know some things. We don't just open it up and start reading. We say this, the Bible was not written to you. It was not written to you. It was written for you, but it was written by a real person in a real place in a real time to real people living in a real place in a real time. And when we understand the main thrust of the author's intent, then we can study the book of the Bible. So here we go. The first thing is this. The author, I'm going to give you one chance, all right? One chance. Who's the author of Jude? Jude, did anybody just yell Jesus? That's what you do. And Jesus, you know, right? right? The author um, is Jude. You're like, well, where did you get that from? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's the first word right there. Jude, a servant. I get paid to do this. It's wild, right? It's wild. Jude um, is the author. Here's what's interesting about this. Um, Jude, most scholars believe, is the half-brother of, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I say half-brother because Jesus had no earthly father. He only had a heavenly father. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it says this, Is not this the carpenter's son? They're talking about Jesus. Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simeon and Judas? Now, here's the thing. Um, Judas. There's a couple Judases in the Bible. You remember that one guy, Judas? Um, yeah, the guy that dimed Jesus out for a little bit of money. Well, here's the deal. Whenever that happened, um, the name Judas dropped on the most popular names to name your baby list, okay? It was actually a really popular name. I've dedicated a lot of babies in my time as being a pastor. Never dedicated a little Judas, okay? Right? So, what they did in the ancient times is Judas and Jude have the original root name. And so oftentimes people with the name Judas, Thaddeus is also another derivative of that. Jude is the author. Who's the audience? Who's he writing to? What's well, probably the same group of churches in 1st and 2nd Peter. That's why most of the time a commentary is 1st, 2nd Peter and Jude. So Peter the Apostle is writing to the churches in Asia Minor that are suffering great persecution. And as Peter sends his letter that they may persevere under the persecution, Jude, as a bishop or an elder, sends another letter to help as to what is infiltrating. What's the date? When did he write it? Most scholars believe around the mid-60s A.D., um, here's one thing we're going to do through all of our series is 
because we started the series dwell, we're also going to have a dwell verse. We want to memorize, meditate, marinate, and mobilize in God's word. And so our dwell verse for the series in Jude is Jude chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. And um, let's just actually, I'm going to read this to you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you holy and blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. That is a good verse to memorize. So that's our dwell verse. I'm going to be um, giving you guys and quizzing y'all if you've memorized it. Um, What are some of the main words in Jude? Very short. It's one of the shortest books of the Bible in the entire New Testament. It oftentimes gets ignored because people want to hurry up and get to Revelation. Because that's where all the weird stuff is, right? Um, Jude mentions the word Lord seven times. Keep is a favorite word of his six times. He mentions false teachers and then the ungodly six times. So what's the purpose? Why is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, writing this letter? Well, look at verse 3 and 4 in your Bible. You ready? Here we go. We're in it now. The series has started. We can't turn back. Here it is. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you, about our common salvation. I love that. Jude is like, man, I was going to write this letter. I was going to write this letter about our common salvation. Translation, I wanted to write a letter about good stuff. About like great stuff. About like joy and our salvation and woo and all of the good. Man, listen, as a preacher, I resonate with that. Because sometimes, like, you're studying the Bible, and you come across this passage, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to preach that. Like, that's not fun at all, right? And Jude's like, I wanted to write about good stuff, but here it is. He changes. But I found it necessary to write appealing to you, here it is, to contend for the faith That was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4. Why? Why do we need to contend for the faith, Jude? For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Verse 3. To contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Jude says this, I wanted to write about fun stuff, but I can't. Because God has charged me to remind you that we have to contend, fight, defend the faith that was delivered to us. Because some people have crept in. And they're distorting the grace of God into sensuality. We're going to learn all about this. What does that mean? It means that they say because of God's grace, we're free to live whatever way we want to live because God's grace covers it all. Oh, 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 we're getting in it. Trust me, we're getting in it, right? And so, but, but what are we really contending? He says we're contending for the faith 
that was once and for all delivered. Man, that's a finality. Do you know what that tells me if we're studying the Bible? That tells me that the early church had some stuff that they believed in that was a close-handed issue. It was not like up for debate. They weren't like, huh, what do we believe in? Well, Billy, what do you think we should believe in? I think we should believe in sunshine, rainbows, and fairy dust. Well, that's great, Billy. We, we believe in that too. And what? Nope, it wasn't that. There were some things that were handed down. And what were those things? Hey, listen, what's the core of our faith? What are we about? And, and by the way, if, if, if you're peeking in over the fence at Christianity and you're wanting to know what this is about... Um, I need to make an apology to you on behalf of the church of Jesus Christ because somewhere along the way, Christians thought that they were known for what they were against rather than what they were for. And that's not what this is about. We're not about picket signs. We're about dinner tables. That was really good. That wasn't even in my notes, okay? It's, it's not about what we're against. It's about what we're for. And what are we for? Amen. Jesus Christ. And look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul breaks it down for us. He tells us the very core of our faith. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you. Uh-oh, here it is. Which you received, in which you stand. By which you are being saved, if you hold fast to what was preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is. For I delivered to you, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. It's the same language. Well, what did you receive, Paul? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Hey, listen, put your pens down and look up here. I want you to, I'm going to tell you something. What's it all about What's the core of our faith and what are we also battling over? What's the battle over? I believe that we as Christians have got so distracted that we're running around from one fire to another fire and we're living all reactive and we're all scared and we're all doom and gloom. That's not Christianity. What's the battle over? This is the sentence. The battle is always over the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. That's it. Notice what Paul says, in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures, the battle is over the good news of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. And you say, ah, I mean, is that really, is that the battle really? Hey, listen, it's been the battle since the beginning. You know the first thing that the enemy says to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1? Did God actually say? There it is. What are we battling over? Right there. 
Well, no, 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 no. I've got questions like about money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did God really say? No, 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 no. I'm dating right now, and I'm wanting to know like that line, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did God actually say? Well, no, 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 Pastor. See, I've got this. Yeah, it all boils down to this. Did God write a book, and did God actually say? That's what James is writing. That's what James is encouraging the early Christians. And, and can I take you on just a quick journey, a couple minutes of a journey to show you? Here's what's interesting. Guys, we have church history. We know what's coming and what we're up against because we have 2,000 plus years of a faith that has been tried and tested and battled against. There is hands down no religion in the world that has been battled, that has been attacked, that has been attempted to remove off the face of the earth like the Christian faith. So when did it start? Well, it started over the scriptures um, but actually, there's sort of five attacks on God's word, and this is fun if you're a fan of history. The first one began in about 1925 over the veracity of Scripture, okay? Veracity is a big word, but so is mocha frappuccino. You're going to learn some things today, okay? And here's what happened in mainline seminaries. Is it true? I, I, I mean, is it true? Like, true, true, like Creation. Hey, did you know Harvard, Yale, Duke? You know all of those were started as seminaries for pastors? And around 1925, the question was, did God really say? And then from those mainline seminaries, those pastors were sent out into mainline denominations. And now it was, well, it's generally true but we're not going to get hung up in the specifics of stuff. And then in the 1950s, after World War II, the attack was the accuracy of Scripture. I mean, you can follow this in history. Was there really David? I mean, if David was the Solomon, I mean, if Solomon was as rich as he was, we have no archaeological evidence that shows that, okay? Because here's what happens. The more they keep digging, the more they keep finding stuff. Like constantly, all the time. Like then a little shepherd boy throws a rock in a cave and he hears something break and he goes in the cave and there's like 20 clay pots. And he's like, what's that? And they look in it and it's scrolls. And it's scrolls specifically of the book of Isaiah. And they tested those scrolls with the scrolls that they have. And guess what? It was on the money, okay? So the battle was, is it accurate, right? Is it really accurate? Then, in the 1970s, a bunch of baby boomers get saved, okay, right? This is the Jesus movement, right? And they react against their parents' faith because their parents were in mainline denominations and they were like, we love Jesus, but we want to have long hair, man. And so what happened then is they started attacking the relevancy of Scripture. They started saying things like, I mean, yeah, it's true, and of course it's accurate, but the human we need so many things. This is an old book. I mean, it's a, there's no way you can treat somebody in 1970 with an old historic book. And what happened is all sorts of other things started getting introduced to the faith. 
like the New Age movement, all types of stuff, emotionalism, which then leads into the early 2000s, and the battle was the the sufficiency of Scripture, which means this. Is the Bible enough? This is is when the seeker-sensitive movement was born, by the way. Whenever you had drummers um, zipping in on a zip line and smoke machines and woo and all that. Like, we got some s'mores. That's like all we got, okay? Because it was like, is is it enough? We got to add a bunch of stuff, man. We got to do some stuff. And um, you know what the battle is now? Hands down, bar none, no questions asked. The battle now is over the authority of Scripture. Is this book authoritative over my moral, ethical, financial, spiritual life? That's where the battle is. Because the battle has always been over the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. So, two verses is all we're covering in the next few minutes. And it's interesting, a letter that is written to defend the faith, you would think he would just start right out of the gate. Load your guns or something like that, right? But he doesn't. What does Jude do? Well, listen, here's the big idea today. We must contemplate the gospel before we ever contend for the gospel. Oh, that's so good. I believe so many Christians are living in such a knee-jerk reaction of the world that they're defending something out of fear that they probably couldn't even articulate to you. And what Jude does in these verses is he breaks it down. What is the good news? And here's what he does. He gives us four identity statements. This is who we are. Hey, listen, before you ever, before you ever go in battle, you better know what team you're on. And so here they are, four identity statements. The first one is this. We are humble. Um, It's the third word. Jude, we've already established that, a servant. Um, Does your Bible have like a little number one by by, by the word servant? If you do, you drop down and it's a little footnote. And on the footnote, it says, for the contextual rendering of the Greek word doulos, see, you know what the word doulos is? It means slave. Now, why is it humbling that Jude would say, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ? Well, remember what I said in Matthew 13? Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. I mean, here it is, Matthew 13. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simeon, and Judas, or Jude? Now, why is that significant? Watch this. This is wild, okay? In John chapter 7, it says this. Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Here it is. For even his brothers believed in him. That's actually supposed to say did not believe in him. His brothers did not believe in him. Are you following the progression now? Jude, a slave of Jesus, who, by the way, I was half-brothers, grew up in the same household as that dude. 
And I'm sick of them, right? He always got his chores done. Mary always had on the back of the camel, my son's, you know, the king of the universe or something like that, right? I mean, what convinced Jude to go from a doubter to a believer? It was the resurrection. Is when he appeared. Listen, here's the sentence right here. History goes on to tell us that St. Jude, in about 72 A.D., here's a picture of him, in 72 A.D., was beaten to death and crucified outside the city, and crows were left to pick his body clean. If you're making up a story that's not true, tell me how this happens. And the trademark, he could have said, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. I mean, he could have played the card, the authority card, but he didn't. We say this all the time. You can either make a point or you can make a difference, but you can't make both. He chose to make a difference, which tells me this. Humility is the core characteristic of every Christian in the Bible. Thus, it should be the very core characteristic of every Christian today. That though Jesus Christ, equal with God, did not count his equality to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. Listen, newsflash. Look up here. Don't miss this. We worship a man who was murdered. Status and prominence should never be the goal of any Christian. We are humble. The second one is this. Oh, this is so good. We are called. We are called. Look, he says it right here. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called. Oh man, this is good. Do you know what that word called means? It doesn't mean a general call. It doesn't mean like I walk in the back of the room and I say, dinner's ready to everybody and then everybody goes. The word called is a Greek word that means to be specifically summoned by God. To be specifically summoned by God. An invitation to salvation. What's the application to your life? It's this. When God found you, he called you by name. Specifically, in your sin, in your muck, and in your mire. And what does that mean? It means this. Before we ever come to God, God comes to us. That's the good news of salvation. Before we ever come to God, God's done a thousand things for him to come to you. That he invites us in. We are humble. We are called. Oh, and then what? Well, the third thing is this. We are loved. We are loved. Because look, I, have you caught on yet? It's just every word. I just do the next one, right? So to those who are called, and then what's the next one? Beloved in God the Father. Beloved. Um, do you know what the word beloved means? It means to set your love on. 
not like a general. Like we toss the word love around all the time, right? Love my truck, love this, love deer hunting, love my wife. Hopefully not in that order, guys, okay, right? We just toss it around. The word beloved means to set your love on. It's an experiential love. Now, see how he's building it. We are called by God. Hey, listen, God's the one who saves. God saves. Jonah chapter 1, salvation is of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God, so no man may boast. You stand, and listen, if you stand before God at the gates of heaven, the classic question, and he says, why should I let you in? And you refer to anything in the third person, fail. Well, I prayed a prayer, fail. I walked an aisle, fail. It's one name, Jesus. That's it. It's Jesus. So we're called, but we're loved. And you know what I think a lot of Christians think? Oh, please don't miss this. I think a lot of Christians think God saved me. He's just kind of disappointed in me. Some time ago, I was in a counseling session with someone who was real sharp in Scripture and just struggling with some thoughts and doubts like we all do. And they said, you know, I know God loves me and I know that. And, they, you know, they quoted the gospel just, man, verbatim. I was like, yeah, it was just good, right? And then they said, but, you know, where I really struggle is, is, is when I have those thoughts and I sin, and I know that God's disappointed in sin and in us. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you, you did a great job of, of, of telling me the gospel. You even backed it up with some scripture. Can you give me the chapter and verse where it says that God's disappointed in us? Their eyes got real big. And it was like a light bulb came on. Listen, the good news of the gospel is not that God has saved you and now he's just looking at you in disgust. Listen, the good news of the gospel is this. Religion says behave. The gospel says beloved. What I mean by religion is my behavior affects God's love towards me. No. God's love towards me affects my behavior. That's the difference. That's the good news. And that's a word for some of you today. Some of you, man, there was a time of glory, the good old days. By the way, that's dumb. Don't ever say that. Because Ecclesiastes says, he who looks on former days and says they're better than these is an idiot. And that's just the Bible, okay? That's just the Bible. There's no glory days. When God found you in your sin and set his love on you, his love was set on you. And there wasn't days when you were really serving the Lord. and really, Yeah, you need to get back in the game, okay? Enough whining, enough moping. Just get in the game. God's not disappointed in you. He loves you, and he's here for you. We're called, we're beloved, we're humbled. And then what's the fourth thing? Oh, man, we're protected. We're protected. This is going to blow some of y'all's minds. Look at what, okay, so we did the called, we did the beloved in God the Father, and what's, what's the next word? Kept 
for Jesus Christ. My Bible with the word for has a little number two next to it. And if you drop down, the two says, or by. Kept by Jesus Christ. Do you understand what that verse just said? That God has called you, summoned you into salvation. And then he set his love on you. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. But I know, see, you're arguing. And that's what James knows. You're trying to argue every excuse. Well, I know God saved me, but he's disappointed. No, beloved. And then I know what you're saying. Um, anytime I ask someone, are you a Christian? And they answer with this, I'm trying. I know there's not a full understanding of grace yet. Because you didn't try for Jesus to save you in the first place. I understand trying to live an obedient life. But what's interesting is Jude says is that we're kept by Jesus Christ. But then when you drop down in the letter and look at verse 21, he says this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I'm sorry. Because I thought you said that Jesus keeps me. Yes. Well, you just said keep yourself in the love of God. Correct. And then do you know how he ends the letter in verse 24? Now to him who is able to keep you. Hold on, pastor, wait. Does Jesus keep us or do we keep ourselves? Yep. No, 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 pastor. I need this or that. Nope. You see, we're, we're not good with both and. We're not good with both and. And here's what I'm here to tell you. Um, Maybe this will help. Um, this Christmas, um, Andy Grace got a new little vanity and like a little makeup set and stand and stuff. And, and on the top shelf is where like the good makeup is. And like all the good stuff. So you don't mess with the stuff on the top shelf. Like it sits there and it's all in display, but nobody can mess with that. It's the good stuff. And Thomas Manton, the great Puritan, says this. Jesus Christ is the cabinet in which God's jewels are kept. Let me just ask you, let me show you how systematic theology works, okay? Jesus Christ died for our sins and then rose on the third day, yes? Yeah. And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ ascended and sits down at the right hand of the Father, yes? How safe is Jesus, God's Son? How safe is Jesus next to God the Father? Probably real safe, right? I mean, he's, he's in there, right? Well, then if I cross-reference that with Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, that says that your life is hidden in Christ with God. We don't wake up every day fearing that God has turned his back. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus says in John 6, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Here's what I'm trying to say. The same grace that saves you is the same grace that sustains you. 
God doesn't save you and then tell you you're on your own and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It starts with grace, it sustains with grace, and this thing ends in grace. We are protected in the love of God. We are humble, we are called, we are loved, and we are protected. The big idea is this. We must contemplate this before we ever contend for this. And as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I want you to see something. Do you notice what Jude is doing? When you look at the word called, loved, and kept, do you know what those three words are? Oh, hey, look, don't miss this. Look up here. Don't miss this. Do you know what those three words are? Those three words are an entire Christian's life. The past, he called you. Do you remember that day? You know that day. And now, you're beloved. In the present, right now. No matter what, you're beloved. What does the future hold? Kept. Secure. In Christ. Um, some of you got handed on your way in. We might have ran out of some, but just a little name tag. You know, hello, my name is, hello, I am. And if we could spend time and go around the room today and ask you, what would you have put in this blank when you walked in the door today? Hello, I am. Divorced. Hello, I am addicted. Hello, I am broken. Hello, I am a failure. What would you have put on? Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to write either humbled, called, loved or protected. And I want you to slap that somewhere that you can see that every day because the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed in God's word through the book of Jude is this, that grace is an unearned gift from an unobligated giver. There's nothing you did to make God love you. And what we need now is a perspective change. To get up off the bench and to realize by faith, before we ever get in the fight and before we ever get in the battle, we have to understand who we are. Listen to me. We are not fighting for an identity in Christ. We are fighting from an identity in Christ that's been given to us. So the ball's in your court. What name now? Do you write on the name tag, beloved, called, protected, humble? Father God, we come before you today so grateful for your love and for your word. God, two verses filled with gospel truth. That Jude, as he's writing to a congregation that is in the battle, says, whoa, 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 slow down. Before we ever get into this thing, we got to know who we are. And Heavenly Father, I just pray today for 
those of us who walked in that door, there's so many names we would write on that. Hello, I am a failure. Hello, I am anxious. Hello, I am fearful. But God, we have the assurance of your word through the power of your spirit that what you declared over Jesus Christ at his baptism is what you say to every believer in the room today, which is this. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. And it's only because of Jesus. God, how radical is grace that grace would choose a sinner and not just choose the sinner the first time, but choose the sinner while you knew that we would sin in the future. But you paid for it on Calvary. So what is written above our heads is paid in full. That's what will change our lives, God. Not behavior modification, not trying our hardest not to do X, Y, or Z, but remembering and realizing who we are. Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. And may we be the people of the book who understands the good news of Jesus Christ and our life in him and through him. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.